All right. So uh, this morning we are continuing the strangest Advent sermon series ever. <laughs> Deuteronomy and Jesus. This is good. I, I think this is this is a great Advent series. <laughs> yeah. Where, where have you been? We never left. Not really, but um, yes, yeah, so we're looking at this idea specifically uh, from Jesus. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So we've been wrestling uh, in this Advent time with how does Jesus come with the law? How does he fulfill the law? Um, it's very easy to you know look at this passage and kind of say, okay, yeah, he, he didn't come to abolish them, he came to fill them. So the law still has some sort of thing going on with us. What does that look like? And the question I wanted to ask is, what does it look like in Jesus' life himself? Because if he came to not abolish the law, but fulfill it, then clearly what we see in the law, what we learn from looking at Deuteronomy chapter, you know, 1 to 35, uh, should be seen somehow in Jesus. Like he should fulfill it somehow. And I think what we've made clear from kind of walking through this a piece at a time is that Jesus does indeed embody what the spirit of the law is trying to say, right? This is about our hearts. This isn't about just following a list of rules. This is about who we are as a people made in God's image. And so uh, how does Jesus come to fulfill the law and not abolish it? What does that look like? Today, we are kind of actually working an outline through the Ten Commandments is kind of how I've been going and so right now we're working on uh, murder and adultery. So congratulations, <laughs> murder and adultery Sunday, yay. Um, so um, Jesus actually has some interesting th- things to say about this. And, and as we've been kind of going through this, what I'm going to do is uh, talk about some aspects of the law and how it addresses these topics. Um, I'm going to address how Jesus addresses these topics and then walk through how we can then walk in light of how Jesus uh, fulfilled these things in our lives. Uh, So before we do that, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we're so grateful for the opportunity to look at your word and uh, just this chance to be challenged and encouraged by it. And Lord, I pray uh, that you would indeed strengthen our hearts and our minds. Uh, They would become more and more like yours, that we would submit ourselves to you uh, and that we would um, cast off uh, the desires of our flesh and run after uh, the desires you have for us and, and find our fulfillment and our joy in you and what you have to offer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're actually talking about how Jesus interacts with thoughts, um, because he really gets at that kind of matter when he talks about both murder and adultery. And so, you know, just as a quick review, Old Covenant, right? Uh, Deuteronomy 5.17, you shall not murder. Good, right? Simple, succinct, understand it. I think everyone, everyone got that one? Do not murder? Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, Deuteronomy 5.18, do not commit adultery. That's it, done, okay, cool. Um, Deuteronomy actually goes on and expands on this, just in case you had any questions about what he meant by that. Uh, he does go on and expands on this a number of times. You might remember, I'm just going to highlight some things that we've already talked about that might bring this to your recollection. Uh, when we were talking about murder, the law actually expanded on that and said, these are some cases in which you are to handle murders or deaths in other ways. So we talk about cities of refuge. 
The law takes seriously uh, who is convicted for a crime. It's not just like finding someone as a a scapegoat. If someone is killed unintentionally, there is recourse for that person to find safety. If they accidentally kill someone, they go to a city of refuge, Deuteronomy 19. Uh, The requirement to convict someone of doing something. Got to have multiple witnesses. Witnesses have to be there to say, yeah, this is what we saw. This is it. And they present their case. Not just on the witness of one, but rather two or three. Uh, They listed rules of engagement for warfare, right? Uh, There's death and dying in war. And what does that look like? Deuteronomy expands on that. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, gives us rules of engagement for warfare. Even gives us rules for unsolved murders, right? You remember this? If someone dies outside the city gate, what are we to do with that? Well, whose city was he closest to? Let's repent before God as a people and say, this is sad, This is horrible that this happened in our midst. Someone in our midst has committed this. And for this, we will make a sacrifice. We see him expand in a similar way on on adultery and what constitutes adultery and what does not. Gives us uh, determination rules for finding who's at fault in certain circumstances. Whether it happened outside the city gate, whether it happened inside the city gate. All these sorts of things. Walking through, when is it a place where we are saying, yeah, that is adultery and we need to judge for it. The law takes very seriously these commands. Says, okay, how are we going to determine that this is what happened and this is who did it and now we will convict? Is very clear on that. And so, um, what is You're a tall, Connor. You're a tall man. All right, cool. Is that picking me up around? Is that better? Great. Okay, so what's easy for us to do is to look at this rule book, right? To say, okay, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. And say, check. I haven't done that. I haven't murdered anybody. I'm good. That one is easy for me. Done. I've fulfilled 10% of the law because I didn't murder anybody, right? Uh, what's easy for us to do is say, oh, do not commit adultery. Well, I mean, I didn't ever cheat, you know, so I'm good. Didn't commit adultery. Like, what is adultery exactly? Was that before I was married or after I was married? Or, like, I didn't do that. It's easy for us, and it was easy for the time in Jesus' day to say, well, I fulfilled the law. See, I, I honor my mother and my father, and I didn't steal from anybody, and I didn't commit adultery, and I didn't commit murder. And Jesus takes that to a whole different level, right? And you guys have heard this, and when we go about these passages, often you have heard this, that is more than just the action that is happening. God has cared about more than that. And the law cares about more than that. We saw that as we went through the law. God is after our hearts. He's not after just like giving this people a rule book to follow. He's saying, you have to be about my business. I want you to be about knowing who I am. And so... Uh, when we come to Jesus addressing uh, both murder and hate, we find that in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26, which we looked at uh, at community group this, this, uh, this week. You've heard it said, 
to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. You'll notice in verse 22 um, that there's like a progression, and there's a progression of whoever's angry will be liable to judgment, whoever's insults his brother, that his words actually come out, right? You'll be liable to a council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to hell. Now, what we shouldn't interpret from that, that's really small, sorry. Um, what we shouldn't interpret from that is, okay, there's like a, a level, and so it's like this one is worse than this one, and this one is worse than that one, right? It's very easy for us to look at even that and say, oh, well, I was just angry in my heart, so that's not as bad, you know? And what is really being portrayed by Jesus is that your, the anger in your heart is a starting place. That starting place takes you to an insult in public. That insult in public starts you to say, you fool. There's a progression that is happening. And the progression starts with judgment. and ends with eternal judgment. And so what he's calling us to do is not to build a bigger list, Right? Not to say, okay, we got 10, let's expand on those 10 and get a, get a spectrum of how bad these things are. But rather to get us to the heart of the issue of if there's anger in my heart, there's something wrong. The same thing with adultery in chapter 5, verse 27 to 30. You've heard it said uh, that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. He goes on to say, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Jesus says, it's not about did you commit this action. That should not be your, your uh, metric of perfection. I've kept the law because I didn't commit the bad sins. No, the purpose of the law is to show us that we are broken. From the inside out, we are broken. As much as that song we sing from the inside out, right? Like, we needed from the inside out to happen to us because inside was broken. And so what Jesus is getting at here with both of these statements is that it's not just about this resulting action that, uh, that is condemned by even unbelievers and believers. It's about where that action started from. It's about what, is, what are we allowing to fester inside of our hearts that eventually spills out into these actions that we should first be concerned with. And so what else does Jesus say about thoughts? First of all, we should know um, that, that if we're seeking to follow Jesus, Jesus knows more than our actions. Jesus knows our thoughts. I mean, think about that. It's very easy to be like, okay, didn't let that out, so I'm good. <laughs> but Matthew 9, 4, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Matthew 12, 25, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself 
will stand. Luke 6, 8. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. This is Jesus. Jesus knew the thoughts of the people he was walking around with. How much more so does God know our thoughts even now? So if our standard is just sitting at, have we committed some action? We have to check ourselves and and say, where does that action come from? Where does it start? Jesus says in Matthew 15, talking about uh, our thoughts and our hearts, this. And he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? He was talking to some people about washing your hands and whether you should wash your hands before this meal in a purity sense. And they were concerned about his disciples because they, they didn't wash their hands in a certain setting. He's like, why don't, your, why don't your disciples wash their hands? He's like, you guys have so much more bigger things to worry about than whether your hands are washed. And I'm not advocating for kids to not wash their hands, but like, there's, bigger, there's, bigger, there's some bigger problems going on uh, than just that. Verse 18, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat what with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. You're not defiled in the purity of your heart by the fact that your hands aren't washed. That's a picture of recognizing needing needing purity and cleanliness. That is a good thing. But that does not give you the state and condition of your heart. What defiles a person is that which is coming out of a person. And where does that start? But in your heart. Out of your heart comes theft and lies and slanders. And so Jesus is challenging us to understand what is happening, not just on the exterior of us, but rather inside of us to battle with what is inside rather than just the actions that come out of us. We can see this in the greatest commandment, Matthew 22, 37 to 40. They they came and asked him, which of the commandments is the greatest commandment? Which one of these? If, If this is the law, what are the greatest of the laws? And Jesus sums it up very quickly. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus is challenging us. Where is your heart? Is your heart for the Lord, or is your heart for yourself? If your heart is for the Lord, then your heart will also be for your neighbor. You'll fulfill both commands, actually. If you are so desirous... Uh, with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind to love the Lord your God, guess what the Lord your God does? He pours out blessing on the people and children that he has made. And so you will fulfill the second commandment. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus desires to challenge us from looking at a set of laws and saying, I haven't, I haven't committed those big ones, so I'm, I'm doing okay. To see the real need that we have for the gospel and that, yeah, that, that big sin, well, it's in me. And I need to guard myself against it lest I fall. So what is 
at stake? Why is it important to, to, to think and fight at the level of thoughts? I was reminded this morning of uh, James 1, 13 to 15, which says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Again, you see this progression, right? The sin that leads us to death and destruction, it starts in our own fleshly desire. It starts here. And we allow that to fester, and it grows and grows until we give birth to sin. And that sin, the result of a life of sin, is death. Like, legally, by the law, that is also true. And also, consequentially, by actions, that is true. If you murder by the law, your, your, your condemnation is to be killed. In the law, if you're an adulter- adulterer, your condemnation is to be killed. <laughs> right? Like These are actual judgments from the law's standpoint, but also, right, if you allow yourself to be controlled by certain desires, you will also die. Right? Allow yourself to be controlled by alcohol the rest of your life. Your liver is going to fail. You're going to die. Right? Allow yourself to be controlled by sugar so much that you become diabetic. Like, these things, ha- like, the more we um, just walk in sin, right? I mean, some of us have a disposition. It's okay. I'm not, I'm not, nothing happens. It's okay. <laughs> it's a spectrum of a battle here. Um, but we have to recognize, like, when we are sinning, it has an effect. And that effect is ultimately death. So we have to fight at the thought level. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5 encourages us this way. For we walk in the flesh, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The challenge from Paul is to say, Hey, this is a battle at the level of your thoughts. If you don't take captive your thoughts, those thoughts become uh, desires. Those desires become actions. Those actions become patterns. Those patterns end in death. And so we seek to take captive every thought that stands against the will of Christ to destroy these strongholds that are in our lives and make them obedient to Jesus. James challenges us further that that if we allow those thoughts to become words, those guide our actions. James 3, uh, 2 and 5. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his old body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses, they will obey us. We guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships. They are so large and and, uh, are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot goes. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. 
How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. What is he getting at there? If you allow those thoughts to become words, those words start to guide your life. Let your words go the wrong way. You're going to break some bridges with your fellow, uh, your brothers and sisters. You let your words go another way, you know, maybe, that, maybe that ends in a positive thing. Like your, the control of your words does have an effect on the direction of your life is what James is challenging us with. If we're not thinking and battling at the level of the thought, the next thing to manifest is word. And words do hurt. We hurt each other with them all the time. And so if I'm allowing festering thoughts of brokenness toward my brother or sister, eventually my allowance of that results in a word. And that word hurts a person. And that person is maybe not someone I'm going to get to have a relationship with because of that anymore. See, it very quickly steers the direction of our lives. And we let our words go rampant. It can be very easy, again, to just come down to a list and say, okay, I haven't done these big things, so I'm good. You can think, well, you know, the, the reason I'm good is that it doesn't hurt anybody else because I've kept it inside of me. And that's true, in a sense. Like, it's good that you have battled so much that you have self-control not to do these things in action or hopefully in word. But that does not mean that our uh, poor thought patterns aren't having an effect on us. They are. What we care about gets expressed. What we care about comes out. Okay? I'm going to use an example. Most of you don't connect with this, but I do deeply. <laughs> and lately, my daughter has seen this probably too much. <laughs> she knows. She already knows. Not, not, not the Dallas Cowboys. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it turns out I'm Blake Farrell, and I care for the Oklahoma State Cowboys deeply, and I have for a long time. Um, I'm a, I'm a recovering Cowboy fan, I'm not sure, anyway, uh, yeah, it's true though, right, like, I am passionate about Oklahoma State sports, that's who I am, take it or leave it, sorry, you know what, and when a big game happens in a season you didn't expect to be good, okay, you get really excited. And when it doesn't go your way, you get excited in the wrong direction. <laughs> okay, I, I think, Christy, I think I've improved a little at holding some in. I don't know. I think I've, I've become a little, I think the kids have helped me, the presence of kids have helped me not be so crazy, but I'm pretty crazy. I mean, literally, like, emotions go wild in me when we're losing a football game. That's stupid, isn't it? It's dumb. It's dumb, but I cannot, like, I cannot, <laughs> I don't know what to do about that. I can't. Pray. Yeah, exactly. Need to, need to pray. Exactly. Um, what you care about gets expressed. It's, it's just the reality, right? Like, what you care about gets expressed. Um, and so, 
so it reminded me of the body of Christ, right? Okay, so 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. A lot of cowboys suffered yesterday. We all suffered together. Entirely. Okay. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We're a body. We, I mean, as much as we like to be individuals and all that stuff, this group of people is committed to one another. We love each other. We would die for each other. I can say that confidently. Okay? When one of us is hurting, others hurt. When one of us is rejoicing, others rejoice. We are connected. We are not separate. We are not connected just at a flesh level. We are connected at a spiritual level. And it can be very challenging to say, okay, if I haven't done these bad things, then no big deal. Because I'm just keeping these thoughts inside. Okay, not saying it's not a good thing to have fought those battles and won. But if we just let our thoughts be bad, there's still a battle to fight. And we need to fight it. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 to 26, the, the whole of that passage, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable, and those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that every member may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. What am I getting at with this? If you allow sinful desire to stay in your heart, it is stopping you from being a part of the body of Christ in the way God has called you to be a part of the body of Christ. There's a progression in your sanctification and coming closer to Jesus that looks like this. Used to, before you became a believer, hopefully this is like something that's changing in you, um, and it is in me too, you'd have a sinful thought, and that sinful thought will lead to a sinful action. Right? You're like, oh, I want this, I'm going to go get it, because I can have what I want, because I'm a human, and I get what I want. That's what I do. It's literally how we operate. I'm going to go after the things I desire. No one can stop me. There are no bounds. There are less and less bounds these days in that regard. Simple thought results in simple action. Something changes when you realize that that simple action is hurting other people, and hopefully you progress to simple thought leads to self-control but not action. Okay, I've got the simple thought, but I'm not going to act on it. Okay, that's a good change in your heart. To go from my sinful thoughts are leading to actions to my sinful thoughts are recognizing those are sinful thoughts and not proceeding to action. That is a good thing. But you have to make a switch from that, that as the ultimate victory. Too often we see that spot as the ultimate victory. I'm just in the process of just stopping sinful actions. That's the goal. Just stop the sinful actions. As, as long as I can stop the sinful actions, then I'm good. That's not the goal. That's the beginning. The next is to not just replace the actions, but to replace the thoughts. Instead of having sinful thoughts, change those thoughts. Lord, take this desire out of my heart 
and replace it with a holy desire. And once we have that, seeing that the body of Christ is one in which we are dependent upon one another, our thoughts are no longer about our selfish motives, but rather about those we are interacting outside of us. And holy thoughts then result in opportunities to serve like Jesus did. And hopefully, the ultimate victory for us in the life of th- in, a, in, the, in our thought life is that those holy thoughts result in us serving people like Jesus did. That's the ultimate victory. The ultimate victory is not just obeying the letter of the law. That is not it. We can't even do it. The goal is to be transformed to have the heart that Jesus has. To replace broken thoughts with thoughts that are good and lovely and true. Uh, Philippians 4, 8 and 9. This is, the, this is the goal. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the goal. To replace selfish thoughts with thoughts that are for our brothers and sisters. Too often when we have conversations in the world and in our lives, we are looking for an opportunity to impress other people or to gain something for ourselves. We are looking for that. In our conversations, we are looking, okay, uh, when he gets done saying this, I'm holding on to this thought because I want to impress him with this. I'm going to hold that thought. I want to get my point across, and I'm not thinking about what he is actually telling me in this conversation, just looking for opportunity to exalt my great idea. Have you been there? Have you been at that spot where you were literally waiting to, like, share your thing and, as a result, not listening to anything that's happening in front of you? If you flip that and start thinking about what is actually being said and being there with your brother and sister, then you get to serve that person like Jesus. Hear them truly, right? We have to take captive the thoughts and submit them to Christ. Brings us to the call of Romans 12 verses 1 and 2, which is this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The challenge of Jesus with our thoughts is to take them captive and obedient to the character of Christ. Put on the mind of Christ, rejecting your fleshly mind that is seeking out sin, rather seeking the sacrificial love of Jesus. You've heard it said, to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. (coughs) 
So the challenge for us today, um, I want you to go with these two things. Our desires and our words are leading our lives. Your thoughts and your words, my thoughts and my words are leading our lives. They're leading the way our day goes. They're leading the direction of our career choices. They're leading our families. Our thoughts and our action, our thoughts and our words are, are leading our lives. And so take stock. Take stock of the things you are thinking of. Like when you go and pray, right? When you're praying to the Lord, in your, in your quiet time, I know you guys are, we're all seeking to do better at, at seeking the Lord, right? We're all looking for more time to spend with our God. But when you do that, are your thoughts and your prayers just for you? Are we just praying for ourselves that God will resolve our junk? It's good to go before the Lord with your junk and ask him for help. But we're to be a people that is caring about the whole, right? Where, where are your thoughts and where are your words leading you? Take stock of this. And again, the reason I went to prayer is like, I think that's a good place to take, take stock of it. When you get before the Lord, are you just talking about yourself? Or, or do you know the rest of your body? And do you pray for the rest of your body? We have to take stock of our desires and our words and our actions and say, where are those things leading us? Because they are taking us somewhere. And if you reflect for enough time, you will start to see the direction that it will go. If I'm consumed with myself, I'm going to get more of myself. Our, di- our desires and our words lead our lives. Be sure you know where you're going. Second, the good news of Jesus is that he wants to change our hearts, not just our actions. The good news of Jesus is that he has the power to change our hearts and not just our actions. When you fulfill the first commandment, that Jesus gives, the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. When you consider all that God has done for you, right? Like, think about all he did for Israel that we've just spent since April. We, were, we only started Deuteronomy in April. We got through Deuteronomy between April and November. That was pretty impressive. Um, But think about all the things God did for the people of Israel. Like, if you consider all that God has done for you and what Christ has done for you, and if your mind is on, on those things rather than things of this world, it will change you. The good news of Christ is that he wants his character and his nature and his being to change you. He wants it to live inside of you. He wants you to become like him. 
being one who gave up the throne of heaven and took on a cross for a people that did not deserve it, the people who stand condemned by their very hearts, us. The good news of Christ is that he can change you from the inside out. He can make you holy. His righteousness can become your righteousness. It is unfathomably, eternally transformative. Like every day you realize, especially as a parent and as a Cowboys fan, that you are broken. That you are absolutely broken. And you have no way to fix it yourself. The more you try and fix it yourself, the worse it gets. And so we must depend on the good news of Jesus Christ to transform and challenge our thoughts every single day, taking captive every thought to the cross of Jesus, making you obedient to him. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful that you care about who we are. You're not giving us some rule book to follow. When it says you have not abolished the law, but have fulfilled it, Lord, the law is holy and perfect. And you've called us to that, God. You've called us to walk in the standard of righteousness that you have. Not just being okay with not doing the big sins. But rather going to the heart of the matter and saying, yeah, I could see how I could get there. Being honest about that. Humbly coming before the throne of God and saying, I repent. I'm broken. I've got a dark heart that seeks after dark desires of my own, and I need Jesus to change it. So, God challenge us each to take stock of our thoughts, of our words, and make sure the direction that it's leading us is the direction you would have for us. And challenge us, God, not to um, seek to correct that in our own strength, but rather by prayer and petition, by sitting at the throne of God, bowing on our knees before the Father in heaven, crying out, seeking the kingdom first, and letting you add to us all that we need. God, change our hearts with the gospel each and every day. Lord, we're not worthy. We're not worthy of you. But you've called us worthy. It should make our hearts leap for joy that in spite of our sin, that in spite of our brokenness, you call us son and daughter. Lord, pray the gospel truth would guide our thoughts we got our words, we got our actions, that we might build up and strengthen each other, that we might share this good news with those around us, that we might serve this world like Jesus did. 
in sacrificial love, regardless of who deserves it or not, but simply out of obedience to what Christ has done for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.